Hello, hello, and welcome to the Gardner Carney Leadership Institute podcast. The GCLI has developed a pedagogy of leadership which combines brain science, leadership studies, cultural competency, and developmental psychology. Its mission is to teach teachers to teach leadership to students. This is your go-to podcast for discussions, tips, and stories for leadership and leadership education. And I am your host, Catherine Birdie, but please call me Birdie. Our world is in dire need of people just like you, people who are committed to building communities of leaders, young and old. So let's get busy leading the next generation of leaders, and thank you for joining us. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm honored that you are here and taking time out of your busy schedule to engage with the GCLI community. Today's guests are perennial fan favorites. We have our fearless leader and executive director, Jeremy LaCase, and the one and only Rishi Raghunathan. We are here to talk more about identity and leadership. If you haven't already done so, please check out Jeremy's vulnerable and insightful blog post entitled, A White Cisgendered Heterosexual Male Talking About Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging. Of course, we'll link it in the show notes, and we'd also be very excited to hear what you have to say about this important topic. So please feel free to engage with us on your preferred social media platform. So now let's jump right into it. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Rishi. Hey, Bertie. Hi, Bertie. I'm so excited that you're here today, and I'm actually really excited to talk about this topic. We're talking about really the intersectionality of identity and leadership, two topics that are simultaneously beautiful and also very complex. So, Jeremy, we'll start with you. Um, your blog post, the title of it, tells us a few of your identifiers, and I'm just curious what inspired you to write the, the post. Uh, so, uh, like all of us, I spend a lot of time thinking about the experience of the people I'm working with and how I can create a space when I'm leading to help as many of those people feel the fullness of themselves in that space. Um, and so, as I thought about how identity was affecting things, one of the things that I was continually aware of was how my own identity ended up uh, influenced the actions that I could take or the way in which I approach problems. And it caused me to think, um, well, so much of what I've been doing was learning about other people's experiences. And while I still have much to learn, I'm also at the point where I can employ the knowledge I now have in ways that I hope would be helpful to others. And so this is a very long-winded way of trying to explain the many uh, elements that were influencing what I, what I was trying to say in this post. And I, I don't think it's a perfect post by any means. Um, but I hope it starts a conversation about how we can create um, more inclusivity in our groups and how we can lead in a more inclusive fashion. Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, I, when I read the post, so much really jumped out at me that resonated with me. And, and I'll be honest, like before this recording, I know we talked a lot about kind of who would do the interview and how this would work. And Rishi, I want to thank you for pointing out that we should all be comfortable talking about identity. And as I kind of did this self analysis of, of what this means to me, it really jumped out at me that I'm not comfortable sometimes talking about my own identity as a white cisgendered female and the responsibilities that I have to make space for others. And Jeremy, I just wanted to point that out and thank you too for kind of writing something that really kind of struck me and 
made me think. And that's what I think we all should do. It's not going to ever be a perfect conversation or a perfect situation, but the conversation is, is key. So Rishi, thank you. Um, and how about you? Um, what are a few of your identifiers and how do they affect your leadership and teachable moments that you encounter in leadership education? It's that question. And I also appreciate that we can be together and we can be vulnerable and honest with each other as we as we engage in this discussion. Um, you know, my identifiers, I'm a South Asian cisgender male. And um, and I realized that as long as I have been in, in in independent schools and maybe in life too, but I, I've thought about this more as an, as, an, as an administrator and educator. You know, I get judged before I walk into a room and, and we don't get to pick when our um, privilege privileges us. And so sometimes our identity gives us privilege and sometimes our identity takes that, takes that away. And so I've always been aware of the fact that I am different and I've, I've come to terms with it. And, uh, and I'm pretty happy with who I am. Um, I also am aware of the fact that I bring my own baggage to it. You know, it's quite complex. Um, this how the world perceives us, how we perceive the world, and then all the interactions in between, and then the time and space that we that we inhabit. So this is a th- these are difficult conversations, and and the most important thing I take away is that we never achieve any kind of perfection. We just have to have these conversations over and over again and in different ways as we learn more. We we do more and we do better. Absolutely. Yes. And I think, Jeremy, to your point, like you, you speak to listening and learning. And in your article, you, you kind of reach this point of where you're, you're trying to act. And I I love that piece. That's that really, I think we've always been trying to act, I guess, but in a way that you've kind of reached this kind of place where you want to make space for others. Can you speak a little bit about that? Uh, Sure. Um, you know, I think uh, some of the journey to learn about systemic racism and the, the challenges of, of privilege and how that shapes things so often is, is a, a journey of self. And ultimately, that's important. It's important that, that I understand uh, my own inclinations, my own biases, and how they affect the interactions that I have with other people, that, that expanded awareness that I need. Um, but ultimately, that's about me. And at some point, I've got to get to the point where I need to understand that it's actually about everyone else. Um, And sometimes being a privileged person means that I can just be focused on me. And that's yet another benefit of being privileged. Whereas um, what I really need to be doing is in a absolutely non-judgmental way, um, being open and curious about other people's experiences in ways that I can learn how I then can act to help them feel included. and unless I am curious and open to their experience, I'm going to perpetuate a version of privilege where I'm just focusing on myself. Can you give any examples in your experience as an administrator or as a teacher that you've seen this play out? Uh, sure. I mean, the example that I use in, in the blog post was uh, in 2000, I'm sitting in a seminar room in graduate school and we read Peggy Markintosh's article, and we, for a number of us in the room, we were all independent school educators. Um, it, it was a um, very uh, monochromatic group in large part, and we all were suddenly coming to terms with our understanding of how our experience had, had been different than so many other people's. Um, you know, we all spent a lot of time feeling guilty 
and uh, feeling shame for our lack of knowledge, for the fact that the system was flawed in this way, all those sorts of things. Now, granted, that's, that awareness is important and that's part of the journey, but if you stop there, you really haven't gotten anywhere. Um, you haven't gotten to the point where you're going to do things or choose actions that are ultimately helpful. And I distinctly remember, I mean, part of it too is when somebody explains that they're, you know, how redlining worked and why certain people weren't able to buy houses you know, like, oh, well, I'll, I'll go buy a house and then I'll sell it to somebody. Like, that's, well, noble, I guess. Um, that's not the thing that's going to solve the problem. What's going to solve the problem ultimately is um, the many, many interactions I have with many, many different people. If I behave in a manner that's inclusive, then then I'm going to be able to erode some of those those giant systemic boulders that, that exist. But if I'm only focused on the boulder or I'm only focused on me, then I'm not eroding anything. I'm in some ways um, knowingly perpetuating a, a flawed system. And so um, that's, that's what I'm trying to avoid. And, and Jeremy, I, I definitely appreciate that. Oh, sorry, Bertie. No, no, go for it. Uh, you know, I think I, just if I could jump in, I, I appreciate what, what Jeremy just said in, in that shift of you know, thinking about you and 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 thinking about others, and that that you know, and, and that that piece about about curiosity too. Um, when we were, uh, you know, we saw the conversations outside of this podcast. Uh, I think about what Liza Talasan had said that there are really two kinds of you know two ways to approach this. You have um, educators who can be identity conscious, and then you can have educators who are identity avoidant. And and for. You know, for many for many years, we've we've been and for decades, we've been allowed to be identity avoidant. We've been allowed to to say, you know, we, that we're colorblind and race blind, and that it's you know we we see every individual for who they are, but ultimately we're asking them to assimilate, we're asking them to to come in and to become part of a system and to lose that individuality that those you know individuals that each each individual has. And so to me, I think it's really from, you know, my own journey comes from that, that piece of assimilation. You know, we, you know, we, when I was younger and less, less educated about this, I wanted to assimilate. I didn't want to be seen as an outsider. I didn't want to be seen as, um, you know, as a, as a threat to the system. I wanted to be, I wanted to belong. And if I belong, then I could also then advance my career. And then there came a point where, um, it, that wasn't important to me anymore. What was important for me is that I felt like somewhere along the way, I was in a position of power, I was in a position of authority, and I had the opportunity to, uh, to tackle systems. I had the opportunity to look at systems and say, is this fair? Is this something that you know, every student here can, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about in my roles as you know, with students specifically, is this every, is this every student can do? Um, you know, is this a, a, a fair metric? Are we asking someone to behave in some ways that's not authentic to them? And so that authenticity is, is a key part of um, how I've operated. And sometimes it's, you know, it's irked people, uh, but it's, it's a testament to, you know, why is my hair the way it is? Why do I dress the way I do? But to point that I can be who I am and achieve the same outcomes, and then the outcomes um, aren't determined by looking and acting and dressing a certain way. That kind of brings yeah. me or makes me think about um, in Jeremy's article, superordinate goals, belonging and the conditions that are necessary to kind of move towards a more inclusive 
community where everyone feels a place of belonging. Jeremy, can you speak to those um, those conditions and to superordinates? Uh, absolutely. So, you know, to, to Rishi's point, I think in the past, if you were in a position of privilege, part of the privilege was that you could force people to assimilate or th there was a lot of pressure to assimilate for those who were of um, marginalized backgrounds. And so as I've thought more about this, um, assimilation has all kinds of issues. Um, the, the highest functioning teams, groups, societies are all ones that have incorporated um, the complexity of the people who make up the group in a way that each individual, regardless of what their identifiers are, feel valued for who they are. So, you know, the three of us, we each have unique identifiers, and when we gather together, we feel we can be our full authentic self, then we have created a, a what I would say, I mean, granted, we'll have conflicts and there'll be challenges, but identity um, as a governor on our effectiveness would be less so. We stand the greatest chance of bias being minimized and other actions that keep us from, from really performing. Then if we have that, if we've met that criteria, then the, the next step is, um, is finding a shared goal that we all have. And, and um, you know, the, the best teams are ones where, um, in essence, uh, I feel I can contribute my full self to this really important thing that we're doing. Um, and that, at that level, um, who I am, because I feel valued, I can, we are all working together. My identity, it's not that it doesn't matter, but it ceases to be a governor on our performance and becomes a, an asset to what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And so if, I don't know what the exact language in, this, in psychology is about how a supernormative goal does that, but it's something like um, it supersedes identity. Um, it doesn't remove identity, but it, it, it becomes the thing that we're focused on rather than focused on ourselves and our own experience. Um, but you can't get to that if you don't create an environment where somebody feels like they can be their full self with their identity. Um, and you can only have a superordinate goal as long as you're doing the things that help each person feel their fullest self. So as a leader, that's really every action I take. If, if an action I take, um, either intentionally or unintentionally, causes somebody to feel less than in our group, then I am ill-serving our group's ability to achieve its superordinate goal. Um, and taking away from that potential. Which brings us to, I think, one of your favorite topics, which is feedback. Sometimes we don't know. And and, and that's hard. The, the onus is, is the onus on the person who feels excluded. That's hard. Is the onus on the leader um, who is blissfully unaware sometimes? Um, it, I, I, think, I think so. Um, but that's soliciting feedback, which you're just a ma you're masterful at that and and then how you process that feedback would you speak for a second on that well i mean ultimately um the only time that a leader is going to get high quality feedback is if the people in the group trust that the person is going to use that in a way that ultimately helps the group to function better so if i have that responsibility of of leading a particular group or working with a group in a in a capacity where um I have influence in that way, then I have to create the trust necessary for people to tell me how my actions are affecting them, 
and ideally creating an environment where they'll tell each other how their actions are affecting each other because the best groups are ones where everyone is working on this in a shared way to create a culture of trust and functionality that allows for us to perform at a high level. And anyone who feels that they have to withhold sharing their perspective um, is ultimately inhibiting the functionality of the group. The, the one caveat there is if you have somebody who's uh, wholly self-absorbed, I'll use the word narcissist, um, some of you may have dealt with uh, leaders who have that tendency, you know, they are not concerned with the experience of other people, they're quite concerned with their own furthering, and if you may have a group member who's functioning that way, and, and that's, that's a unique leadership challenge as to how to help that person become somebody who is trustworthy and trustful in a way that helps the group function. But that's a, that's, we're getting outside of, I mean, I don't think anyone would walk around advertising that they were a narcissist or um, <laughs> be fully engaged with that, but who knows? Anyway, that's just an aside. Well, it does, it also brings me to something else. And Rishi, I'm going to toss this one to you. Um, narcissists and, and many of us who are just trying to do their best um, have blind spots. Um, blind spots um, are, are yeah, again, back to the feedback. We need people to point point out where we might be not seeing something. And then, um, do you do you how do you handle blind spots with people you work with and and students too? I think that's also uh, an important constituency here that that needs to be made aware of the the blind spots that we all have. No, Bertie, I appreciate that, and I also want to jump um, back to what something that Jeremy said about you know feedback, trust, and uh, and functionality. You know, I, I think as a um, you know, as a relatively young administrator, I certainly have taken the the lessons of feedback very seriously, and so to me, um, I need to make sure that I am getting, I am uh, you know regularly soliciting feedback. So I use, um, I've used um, some of the feedback strategies from the Culture Code. Um, I use um, multiple check-ins with my own faculty, and then I'm also really accessible. You know, I think it's important that uh, people know the way I think. So it's less about you know me or my narcissism or whatever it might be, but at least they know how I will think and how I will process, and that gives them some safety. And in knowing that if you bring something up to Rishi and we end up disagreeing, I know why I disagree, and I understand the process that he goes through. So that you know means I mean, so that part about feedback means a lot to me. Um, and even when you know Jeremy said you withhold sharing a perspective. I think identity is such a key part of that perspective. If you have to come into work and you can't be yourself, or if you're a student and you come in and you can't bring uh, some part of your identity, you know, you're not bringing your full humanity to the school. And, and so we, we lose something valuable as a school when someone has to take that big breath and say, I'm armoring up before I enter the space of learning and, and sharing and vulnerability. And it, it just runs counter to our um, to our to our mission, and so for me, blind spots um, it's a it's a process. It's a process of asking, you know, one does my my team um, who I make decisions with uh, do they um, do they have are they comfortable speaking truth to me? Are they comfortable telling me that this is a terrible idea? Are they comfortable saying I'm missing a perspective? So I think when it starts with um, with, with, with that, that group of decision makers that I'm with. And then it also then translates to how I model that in, um, in division meetings and with students. 
And so how do I model conflict? Like ultimately, when this comes to a head, it's a conflict and something has happened. And now there's a, um, uh, there's a, there's a point of tension and, and stress and it feels intense. And so we as, a, as schools, we can predict when the conflict will happen, but our success rests as human beings and as, as, as administrators, as teachers, our success rests in the response. And is that response handled in a way that is thoughtful, that that person's humanity is seen? And so it's the intention and impact. And do we own the impact? And then after you caretake the person, can you reset the, the intention? Now, obviously this doesn't you know, work in all situations, but people will remember not the mistake, but how you responded to the mistake. And it's the response to what happened that can either strengthen a bond or further deepen uh, divisions. Rishi, just to wow. piggyback on that, um, if you're doing work in your community to create one where each individual feels valued, when those moments do arise, you have a lot more capacity in the community to weather them in ways that are ultimately, I mean, I, you know, less destructive than they would be, um, and in ways that that don't um, don't end up really causing lasting damage. I guess might be the way of describing it. Yeah, I agree, Jeremy. And I think you know, and in a, from a from a level of a student, um, it, you know, it, it goes back to you know, do you see me? Do you hear me? And will you protect me? And and I think it's also very similar when I you know if I think about a faculty member and even importantly when I, it comes from a parent, I always try to put myself in the shoes of a parent and know that if someone is is giving me giving me that feedback, uh, yes I know the feedback is as much about the person as it is the feedback. But I also know if I can sit there and get to the heart of this feedback, is this feedback coming from a place of fear? Is this feedback coming from a place of concern? Ultimately, what is the root of this feedback? And then I can be honest and try to, you know, try to address it, um, and 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 find a way to work in partnership um, with that, you know, with that person. And I, I think the role of feedback is also then sharing uncomfortable truths, and then sitting sometimes in that uncomfortable truth, and that too can determine what that what that next step can can be. So uh, you know, there's no easy answer. There's a little bit of feeling. There's a little bit of trust, but it's us as individuals sitting in that conflict and being okay with it because oftentimes you know independent schools um you know we 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 have we have power and we can when we put our minds to things we can solve things and and when we can't do it it drives us crazy and we want to put it in a neat box and say that's where it it belongs and um and that's not how, how life works you know to kind of wrap this up and it it makes me think of the the holding container that we all have a responsibility to create and 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 develop this trust the trust that comes with that and the adaptive challenges that are always going to be present when we're talking about identity and and trust i i really it requires an enormous amount of time patience emotional intelligence to to make this all work in a way that is going to bring people to belonging in a equitable and and uh, what's the word Rishi help me um, in an equitable way that makes us all feel like we belong and <laughs> brings us better to that sense of fullness and wholeness as a community yeah I, I agree Bertie I, I struggle with words too and I know that there are people who are far more um, intelligent than me and more eloquent than me so it's just sometimes I, I, I use the words that I have and um, I find that simpler 
um, just to build on what you said, Bertie, you know, ultimately, uh, we all have a role and responsibility in creating healthy and functional communities. And uh, I think part of what prompted the blog is that there are times when um, those, well, my I, I'll, um, with my identifiers, I worry that um, there aren't actions that I can take or that there isn't a space that um, I can try and help with um, because my identity actually is causing damage as I engage with other people. And that's, um, that's not the case. Um, if I am thoughtful, if I'm gathering feedback, and if I'm being thoughtful, I said that twice, uh, with what it is that I'm, I'm trying to do. Um, and if I stumble along like everyone else, we're all learning, learning together, but action's required. Um, I can't, I am no longer in a position where I can say, oh, I didn't know, I now need to, to do something about the problem that I see. Yeah, thank you. I'd say that's, uh, um, you know, the, the, the lesson for, if there's a lesson here, is that it, it starts itself. And every individual has a responsibility to learn. And you, you can't abdicate that responsibility, especially when we work with children. And, and, and that, to me, is, is the, you know, is the essence. Like, we, we, we are building, um, I, no, I won't even say that, that's, that sounds a little presumptuous, but, you know, we're creating the foundation for the future. And our, our missions tell us that the, the, the children have to be better than who we are and they have to uh, grow and, 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 and be, um, you know, d achieve more than we have. And so that responsibility cannot be taken lightly. And our job is to help to prepare kids for the future, not for them to fit into our past or to make sense of what used to be and what it, and what it could have been. It really is. What will they do when when we aren't around, and and what will they do when uh, they have to be lead another generation, and be the examples that we want them to be? And that is all baked into our mission. You know, this identity work is not either or work. If we want kids to succeed, we have to see them. If we want our faculty to succeed, we have to see them, and we have to work to that superordinate goal, and 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 creating levels of trust in many different places is, is the only way to do it. Well, I want to thank you both for, um, Jeremy, for writing the article that really got me thinking and really grappling with what, why I'm not entirely comfortable about talking about my own identity. Um, I'm, I love learning, but it's time to act. And Rishi, thank you for your wisdom always you actually you always have the words and they're always brilliant and just so poignant so thank you for being here both of you this conversation should be continued it should never end so i hope you'll come back and we can talk about this some more take good care and we'll talk soon thank y'all for joining us today and we'll see you in two weeks time until then visit us at gcliadership.org and follow us on facebook linkedin and twitter You'll find all of our links at the bottom of our podcast. And until then, lead on.